Hello, residents of Meeple Town. This is Dean. This is Darren. And today we're going to be reviewing Final Girl. We're going to be talking about some games we've been playing lately. Then we're going to give you some Meeple Town news. In my best Johnny Meeple Town impression. So thanks for joining us as we seek to build community through board gaming. This is episode 147. Residents of Meeple Town, I have a question for you. This is a question that has plagued humankind since the beginning. From the very first time that humankind broke out board games and decided to play them solo because, you know, apparently someone wasn't around. My question is, and this directly relates to what we'll, what we'll be talking about later, and Dean, I'm asking you too, is it okay to cheat in solo games? <laughs> it's just you and the game, you know? Do you cheat or do you not? This may or may not come up later. So the question is, do you cheat or is it okay to cheat? <laughs> You're saying, yes. is it okay to cheat? <laughs> is it okay to cheat and do you cheat? Is it even cheating? Yes and yes. And no, mm-hmm. it's not. <laughs> Explain. who are you? Well, I guess you could say, well, you're cheating yourself. And maybe that's the case. But if it makes for a funner game, then I think that's okay, right? I mean, games are supposed to be fun. And if you're playing by yourself, now, obviously, I would say very different answer if I'm playing against you or if I'm playing against other people. I think that's right. bad and takes away the fun for everybody. But if it's just yourself, yeah. And I do. <laughs> Agreed. In fact, I did Same. last night. Um, I played Final I did Girl last night and I cheated <laughs> okay. just just slightly. Just slightly. I yeah. I I I was afraid the game was gonna end very quickly if I didn't change one of my roles. I'll talk about that gotcha. later. But Yep, yep. But that is one of those things, right? I mean, it's about, especially in a solo game that's highly thematic, kind of about the story, the experience, letting things play out. You went through all the trouble to put the game together anyway, especially if it's going to end too early or something like that. I can can see going ahead. Well, maybe that didn't happen. Maybe that gets re-rolled. Yesterday I was playing... Mansions of Madness, same kind of thing happened. You know, this story said, I'm, I'm short on time. I don't have time to go through this again. This has to be a success. You know, we make we make calls. But um, yeah, I'm curious, Meeple Town, what, what do you think? You know, is it okay to cheat? Is it all about the experience? Are you, a, are you a rules lawyer, even with yourself? You know, what do you do with this? We can carry on this conversation uh, over in the Guild on BGG and Guild 3407, or maybe in the Discord, which is where really all the the juicy conversations are happening. Dean, how do they get on the Discord again? You're just going to have to reach out to us right now. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to tell you, it's been a a bear for me to figure this whole thing out. Uh, Maybe I'm going to need to get some help on this. And well, I say that. I spent about 20 minutes, probably 30 minutes one day looking into how to make this work. The, the problem is we have to change it to some other new community with rules and things like that, which I'm totally fine doing. I just don't know how to do it based on the setup that we have right now. So once I can get some time to figure that out, then I'll have the link on the website and it'll be a permanent link. But until now, the link expires after about a month. And so you get on the Board Game Geek Guild number 3407. And I'll, I, I try to update the link occasionally, but if not, then just post on there, hey, the link's expired. 
and then I'll give you a new one. Or you can just reach out to us through the email, mapletownmail at gmail.com. Yep, sounds good. And while you're there, go ahead and ask us a question if you have a question to ask. And while you're in the Discord and you're answering this solo question, also, what accent did Dean actually use in the last episode? I mean, there's been some debate on that too. Was it Gru? Was it the guy from Ant-Man? Was it uh, Adam Sandler's Dracula? All kinds of conversations that uh, are really world changing and 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 people shaping. So uh, I yeah. think it in. was I think it was probably Gru. That's what my kids said too. <laughs> the Adam Sandler. I think the Adam Sandler Dracula is quite a bit different than what I was going for. Uh, his is cooler. I think so too. I but definitely feel <laughs> no question. He walks around in <laughs> athletic shorts and uh, hoodies all the time. That's, hey, that's I, I could do life. that. I do I actually. Could. I do that all the time too. That is my life. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, hey, speaking of reaching out to us and connecting with us, if you would like to leave us, uh, leave a review for the podcast on anywhere, I guess, although I'm I'm a little unsure as to, I I think all of them end up showing on Apple Podcast. But if you want to leave us a review, that helps boost us and, and let people know that we're around and uh, one of the more recent ones that I forgot to mention was a review from a while back. And they just said, this is fun. It's a charming and fun podcast is what this listener said, London pod fan. This was actually from several months ago, but I didn't see this one. It wasn't listed on the list that I was looking at, although it says it's on Apple Podcasts. So I'm not sure how I missed that one, but I apologize for that. Thank you for that review. Uh, had a listener, Omar, that reached out to us and said, hey, I left you guys a review. I don't know where that is. <laughs> <laughs> Try again, you know, Omar. Let us it, know. Funny enough, I'm actually fairly technological, uh, I think. Um, I, I can speak tech, speak, and do technological things, but it does not appear that way on this episode. So I apologize for my failures and my shortcomings, Meepletown. Hey, we appreciate all that you do, Dean, because I am not tech savvy. I speaky, no tech speaky. So one of us at least has to be able to do that. So fantastic job. <laughs> but what I can do is talk about board games. And, and there's usually no tech involved in those, although that's not always the case because you just talked about Mansions of Madness. Mm-hmm. But you've been playing another game that I would love to hear about. I have. Yep. This was not one I was playing solo. This is actually a party game that was given to us as a review copy from the op, one I picked up at Gen Con. This is Mishmatch. M-I-S-H. Match. Two different words. Mishmatch. This is designed by uh, Alicia Zor-Sapiro and Sar Shai. Again, published by the op. This is a two to eight player party game that lasts anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes or perhaps longer. Um, this is one of those games that's based on pattern recognition, kind of like spot it or double, depending on what part of the world that you're in. Uh, it's a game where all the cards are dealt out as evenly as possible to all the players and kept in face down piles. Each card has one of seven different animals on there, like a flamingo, goat, gopher, lemur, panda, penguin, poodle, you know, your standard animals. And uh, each animal is either a different, you know, it's, it's going to be a different color. It's either going to be blue or pink or green or purple or yellow, like these animals are. Each animal also is going to have one of five different types of food in their hand, like bananas or cookies or hot dogs or pizza or ramen. <laughs> and then each animal also is going to be expressing one of five different moods 
like chill or festive or greedy or they're in love or they're sad. Okay, so so these four different attributes um, are going to be going to be displayed on each card, and so. The first player, if it's your turn, uh, you will call out one of the four attributes, either animal, color, food, or mood. And then you flip the top card over from your deck and put it face up in the center of the table. And then the next person clockwise to you then flips their first card over and places it on the center pile while everyone is trying to see if that new card matches the attribute of the previous card. For example, if I'm the first player, Dean, and I call out, and I call out animal, and I put my card down and flip it, put it in the put it in the middle. And, and and it's a lemur. Okay. Then you flip your top card and place it on top of my card. And it also happens to be a lemur. Well, Jonathan over there is the first person to see the match. And so he reaches out and slaps the pile first and shouts out lemur. Okay. If he's correct, mm-hmm. he adds those cards from the center pile to his deck. Now, but if he had said the wrong thing, if he had said panda. <laughs> which was way off, uh, then he would have to add two cards from his deck into the pile. And then whoever gets it right, whoever guesses, will then begin the next begin the next round. And so the game will end. You keep going like that. And the game ends when a player is out of cards and they need to add another card to the center pile, but they can't. And so when that happens, the player with the most card wins. Okay? Hmm. Sound, sound about right? So there's... There's something about this that did not feel intuitive. Maybe it's the random animals. Maybe it's the the attributes. Um, matching those attributes is really weird at first. If you don't know the animals or what they are or what the moods are, we all had to keep kind of going back and referencing the rule book. Okay, which one is it? What what are what are our options again? And it's also kind of difficult sometimes to see, especially if you're around the table, like the the food. If you're calling out food and seeing what it is, because it's kind of buried in their hands and it's really hard to see. So it's, I don't know. We, we struggled with this some. And also, if you're playing this game, you better have some fingernail clippers and a, and a fingernail file on hand along with some bandages because when we played this, we we drew blood a couple of times. We had some uh, some nail scratching as everybody's reaching in and trying to dive in and slap the table and being the first one to, to slap it. Kind of problematic. Um, it does have some variants for where you're not like slapping the pile. Maybe you're just slapping the table instead. That's fine. There's also like an advanced variant where um, you have to name all the matches, you know, that you can see on the card if, if this other game is too uh, too easy for you. I don't know. This, this game was a pass for me. Um, I think there's going to be some people that really like this game. Uh, and most of the people that I played with did. And, and that's great. You know, that's that's awesome. This is one of those things, again, it should be quick, but it potentially can go on and on forever, like in war. You know how like war, you just keep going and adding to your decks and adding to your decks and nobody ever runs out. Okay. Right. This definitely has potential for that. Um, Not a whole lot of interesting decisions for me. Not my kind of of dumb fun. I think there's better short, simple party games out there. I would just rather play Spot It if I'm going to play a game like this, because there's multiple ways of playing Spot It. I think Spot It's got like, what, five different ways you can play? where you're flipping cards over and you're calling out what the match is. You're not going in and, and slapping and smacking and hurting each other. Um, there's five different games, I think, in that spot or, or double. You know, so I don't know. More interesting. Uh, this game's a pass for me. What, what, what do you think? Just hearing me talk about it. What, what do you think about something like this? Me, so I've actually never played Spot It. Spot It's this okay. a speed, like finding things 
quicker than other players too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody's got, there's like a deck of cards, uh, of circular cards, kind of in the middle of the table. And again, there's different ways you can play it. You can play it where you flip a card over and you're trying to match something from the card in front of you with something in the card in the middle of the table. And there's lots of different variations. Some of them you're trying to get rid of all your cards first. Some of them you're trying to be the one with the most cards at the end of the game. But basically, yeah, flip, quick recognition and calling it out. Yeah, this would probably be a pass for me having not played it. Um, and this isn't, you know, you might say, Dean, how can you say that? You've never played it. It sounds similar to set. And okay. my problem with, have you played set? I don't think so. Potentially. Yeah, what is set? You lay a bunch of cards out and then if whoever's the first one to, to spot a pattern of three cards, I think it's been a while since I've played it, but I think okay. that's right. And it's patterns based on color, based on uh, shape of the different patterns and, and based on the, uh, something else i think um maybe the number of patterns on there or something like that okay once you find three grab them gotcha i the problem with it is either you're it's not that you're really good or really bad but if you play with somebody who's really good it's not fun they they really have to dumb the game down and i tend to i tend to not like nerds i don't like nerds um right yeah which i think is the same as dutch blitz i think that's a similar yeah, so. style game i just i'm not very good at those games even as much as i like um, taco cat goat cheese pizza for a good fun family game i i will never win i just don't um <laughs> right and, and, it, and i don't have like a sour attitude about that it's just I want to at least be competitive in these style games. I'm not. And so it's more of a, it's more of a me thing, but I know who this game would be for my former intern who was like a set savant loved that game would <laughs> gotcha. probably really enjoy this one. There you go. Yeah. Cause one thing like spotted and double in those types of games, oftentimes they're billed as kids games. There's a bunch of different IPs you can get for those as well. This one would not, I don't necessarily think would be like a younger kids kind of game because again, it's, it's a little more, um, less intuitive with the different types of animals and the different things that you're looking for. Uh, so maybe someone who's, who's a little more advanced, maybe someone who's, who's older that, that likes those kinds of games. Maybe this is something for them. Like I said, I know a lot of our students that when we played it, they really liked it. I'm like, have at it. <laughs> Y'all can keep playing. I'm going to go, I'm going to go play something else. But, um, but yeah, but that mm-hmm. was again, a review copy from the op. Thank you for that. That was mishmash, not for me, but for some, what have you been playing Dean? Well, I'm going to talk about a game that I played at Tennessee Game Days. You know, I talked about a bunch of those, but I didn't talk about all of them. There's still several that I hadn't mentioned. This one is a, it looks like a 2019 release. And this is uh, by uh, Zong Zhur. He is the designer from Good Game Studios, it looks like. I don't even know if you can get this one, actually. Um, it is, have you played Point Salad? Yes, I have. Okay, this is not Point Salad. (laughs) It's not even Point City, which I've played recently, too. Uh, I like that one as well. This game is neither one of those, not by the same designer, publisher, nothing. Nothing is the same other than it looks the same. It looks very similar. This is Vegetable Stock. I guess you just want me to say the name of the game and stop chattering about what it's not, I guess. Um, Vegetable Stock is a quick 15, 20-minute game plays pretty uh, plays pretty easy too. In fact, I love this in the description on BGG. It actually you read a paragraph and you know exactly how to play, which I think is is pretty cool. But vegetable stock is a game where you are going to take uh it let's say you got two players, you're going to take three cards. So one more card than the number of players. You're going to lay them out on the table 
and you're going to draft. So there's going to be, I'll take a card, you take a card, and there'll be one card left over. The card that's left over is going to have uh, a symbol on there, vegetable symbol, just like the other ones that you have on there. And that is going to raise the price of that particular vegetable. Okay. So I'm going around again, drafting these, uh, drafting these vegetables and, and that's it. <laughs> I, I was going to say like <laughs> more things, but that really is the, the entire game. You're just that's drafting right, okay. the cards. Now, the cool thing is though, the price is going up with the card that's left over. It's similar, honestly, to uh, art society that I talked about that same week where you have a, a piece that's going to be left over and that's going to drive up the price of whatever that, um, piece of art is this will drive up the price of that particular vegetable and uh sorry each card has three vegetable icons on it i didn't say that and so um the vegetable prices are going to go up with the with the symbols that are left on there and once this is the cool part once the price goes over the uh, six okay it's going to drop back down to the one spot so five is worth uh, sorry, six is worth, I think, five coins or something like that. Once you get past that six spot, it goes back down to the one, and now it's worth nothing. And so you can be set collecting a bunch of corn, and you know the corn price is rising, but you don't want it to rise too high, too close, because your other player can see, hey, they've got a bunch of corn. This corn price is almost at the tipping point. Let me make it crash, and so they can't get it. And that's it. That's the entire game. I liked it a lot. It it sounds like it could be mean, and it could be. I mean, you definitely, there is player interaction for sure. Um, negative, I would even say. But such a quick game and, and a lot of fun that uh, we enjoyed this one. It's not like, you know, the greatest game ever made or anything like that. I would put it probably in the play category, maybe even close to the purchase category, because I've actually looked at the prices on this one just to see if, I, if it would be worth it to pick it up, because it is such a small card game you play it really quickly uh you know one of those you put in your pocket and take with you to cafe or something like that so yeah this sounds like one that i wouldn't mind playing i've heard Krishi on the dice tower talk about this a, a lot he really in, enjoys it and it does it looks like they ripped off the art from point salad to be honest it looks like they just yep. copied and pasted that same um graphic design and, and the art and everything even though it looks like it's different artists behind it but um, and point salad was fine for me. I think maybe that's a six or so. It's something that I'd play if somebody brought out, but, um, this sounds interesting. Yeah. I love, <laughs> I love the play on words, the vegetable stock. Point yeah. salad. I like how they, how they do some of that. It's, it's interesting. Looks cute. Mm-hmm. And again, it is nothing like, yeah, well, it is like point salad in that you're just drafting cards and trying to get the most points, but point salad is more about the combos. And, um, this is just about trying to drive up the price just high enough of the ones that you've got bef- without it tipping over into um into zero territory so gotcha. it, it was it was a cool game i enjoyed it i've also again played point city recently so i'll talk about that hopefully in the next couple episodes yeah i'm gonna hear about that one all right now we are going to get on to the maple town news all right, it is news time. Ah, yes. Listen to the news. Hey. 
<laughs> that's what they do. There. That was more mobster than the than news broadcaster. Oh, was it? Oh, man. <laughs> you see, you know, back in the 20s in the speakeasy, see? I'm Gus Chiggins. <laughs> Listen to the news. Sure go Is that to better? time. No, surely not. <laughs> okay, you don't come here for stupid accents. voices. <laughs> terrible accents. You came here to hear about the, the news that we're excited about. So I'm going to kick this off talking about a game by Trevor Benjamin, David Thompson, the dynamic duo. Mm. Love, love what they're doing. Also, there's other designers that they're doing things with, but a lot of the stuff that they're they're involved in, including the Undaunted series, are ones that I'm pretty excited about. And this is a new one in the Undaunted realm. Comes out next year. Uh, I believe if I remember right, it's quarter two, quarter three. Yep, quarter two, quarter mm. three is what we've got in the notes anyway. This is Undaunted 2200. This takes place in the 22nd century. And uh, this is, um, I'll read this, this description of tensions have arisen between the conglomerate of Earth's leading corporations that funded the base and the mining collective tasked with operating it. Protests have erupted, strikes have been called, and contact, contracts have been broken. And private security forces have been hired, industrial mining vehicle repurposed for combat. So you're starting a war because of resources on planet Earth. And I think this is going to be one that I'm going to end up picking up is my guess, because I really like Undaunted. I stopped at North Africa, uh, not because I'm done with it. I'm, I, it's just because I haven't, I don't have all the money in the world. But when I do get all the money in the world, I will buy all the Undaunted stuff and play all of it. But this one seems cool and a new take on things, literally new, new setting, um, which I think is good. I actually would, if you would have said, Dean, I want to see Undaunted in the future, I would say, oh, hard pass. But then I look at this <laughs> and I start reading it and I think, no, that actually would be pretty cool. And you've also, right out of the box, you've got uh, map in two player, four player, and solo game mode. So, which mm-hmm. is nice because uh, the newer ones have had solo play, but the the additional the the uh, original two did not. And so, I actually don't have a copy of the game that has a solo version of it. I've never soloed this, but this is a good game that would be easy to solo with the right mechanisms in place. You excited about this one? You have you played Undaunted? I have. I, I like Undaunted, and it's weird because I'm not. I don't like the theme of war games, but there was something about the way everyone was talking about the deck building and the, and the smartness of play and how this worked in, in the Undaunted series that intrigued me. I do like Undaunted. I do have the reinforcements box that's got the solo modes for, for both of the first two games. Oh, right. And it's, yeah. it's, it's nice. And so I'm glad to see that one, this is coming with the solo stuff already in, involved in, and they're taking it to, you know, uh, Callisto, this moon of Jupiter that where all this is going to be taking place. So it's going to have some, some interesting space stuff. And, um, the fact that it's, you know, this is about protest erupting and strikes being called. And there's, I I don't know. I, I like the story, the setting behind this, the motivation of like why this is going on. This is like some kind of political corporate, uh, upheaval that is now breaking out into some kind of some kind of yeah. war um, reminds me somewhat of things like oh Avatar setting and, and and that type right of deal. where my mind went Darren yeah. right to Avatar I thought the exact same thing 
so, and of course, yeah, like you said, like these two, uh, David Benjamin and, and Trevor Thomas, sorry, David Thomas, Trevor Benjamin. There we go. Strike that reverse. Strike, exactly. <laughs> Thanks, Willy Wonka. Uh, yeah. Love, love what they're doing. I'm very excited about this. This, this will be, this will be neat. I'm sure. Yeah. And you know, we say Avatar, the setting and, and some of the graphics made me think of, of Avatar, mm-hmm. but the, yeah. the story behind it, I actually think is, is cooler. I mean, I, I think this is yeah. a cooler story because it's, it's more of a, an upheaval than a, you know, a colonization type theme. Right. So it, right. Uh, the other cool thing, it, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out, but you said they've got strikes uh, and things like that, I believe, um, which is something you don't see until some of the later boxes. Maybe I'm, did you, did you say strikes like airstrike type things? No, th- oh, this no, no. Was like, strikes like, have been called like protest. Right, strikes. right. Yes. Yes. Okay. So strike that. I don't know if that's actually in it, but, and there's not, a whole lot other than the description that I read. There's no pictures or anything like that other than the box cover. But on the box cover, you've got mechs. And who doesn't like mechs? Right? You're hoping for miniatures, aren't you? I am hoping for <laughs> miniatures. Now, I know that that's not necessarily feasible because of the way that the tokens work for Undaunted. But it's possible. I mean, they did it for Anachrony, right? Where you have the the cardboard tokens inside of the miniatures. So maybe there's something like that. I don't know. I I don't I don't know. Maybe it, that information is somewhere, and I just haven't dug deep enough to see if that's the case. But no. even if it's not, even if it is just the tokens, the game itself doesn't need all the fancy stuff because it's it's just that well done. Right. Agreed. Yeah. So that is. Oh, and, and one of the other things. Sorry, I was going to throw out there is that it talks about maps um, and. I couldn't, uh, maybe, okay, okay, I'm sorry. There is components on here, uh, components listed. So you got 70 tokens, the dice, um, 12 dice, which is interesting, 135 player cards. You have four double-sided player boards. Now that is interesting Mm. because in the other one, you have the tiles that kind of lay out for the map. And the way I understand it is that it's not that way. Uh, in this one that it is just the just the the double-sided maps which i'm interested to see what that looks like because maybe some of those tokens kind of change things on the map or are you playing on the same map all the time not sure yet yeah yeah that'll be very different other than the the modular approach to the to the previous games yeah oh, oh and the price sorry one more thing on this and then i'll be done but the price uh pre-orders on in canada or $94. So that that's interesting too, because it is quite a bit cheaper than Stalingrad, which was one twenty-four in Canadian dollars, which I think is, I don't know, like $7 or something like that. <laughs> that, Aha, that was a joke. Joke. I don't really know what uh, that is, but it's not too far off, I guess, from, uh, from US dollars. Yeah. Well, and, and, and Stalingrad was a campaign game as well. This is not best I can. Correct. Correct. I think that's right. So anyway, that is as interesting to see as more information comes out about that. That is the new Undaunted 2200. We do have a few Kickstarters that we want to talk about. Um, One in particular that I want to go ahead and mention that's already on. It's up and it's active. This is uh, in Kinesia news from Kickstarter. Apparently, Knizia is now releasing his first like big box game here in a while. This is from Bytewing Games. This is Cascadero. 
which is a, a tile placement game. This is where you are a new ruler in a shattered kingdom trying to reunite the land, but you just can't do it on your own. So you're appointing four ministers, which are the players, to go out and restore harmony and prosperity throughout the land. Uh, each player uh, or minister has like one dedicated responsibility. So somebody's primarily farming and someone's primarily mining or crafting or, or using the markets. And so this it's a tile placement strategy game where you're visiting towns by putting envoy, uh, little envoy meeples out there adjacent to them, but you can only score your envoys if they're part of a group because, you know, single envoys aren't trustworthy, but if they come with a group, then so be it. And so as you score points for your groups, which again can be made up of your envoys or of other players' envoys, you will also be moving up tracks and unlocking various bonuses as well as trying to accomplish certain achievements. So that's like the first uh, big box game he's had in a while, and it's also being released with a smaller sibling, a roll and write version of the same game called Cascadito, where the object of the game is basically the same, except now you're rolling dice that has the color of the cities on them. And so on your turn, you're going to be drafting a die and marking a space on your player sheet adjacent to the color of that town that was rolled. As you draft a die, you'll you know mark that color. Again, looking to score in groups, achieve bonuses move up tracks, that kind of deal. And apparently it's got different maps uh, with different layouts and different challenges that will be a part of the um, the roll and write version of Cascadito. So again, looking at these two games, lots of Kinesia, lots of combo, combo, combo action that that people love. Uh, have you shown any interest or seen anything interesting in these, Dean, as you look at them? Well, I love the look of it for one. Um, yeah. I think the the art on these is, is really really cool. I honestly haven't looked a ton into this. Um, part of that is purposeful because I know I would get really excited about, you know, <laughs> right? Kinesia, you know, tool artwork and all that right. jazz. But yeah, and the components do look really great. The way you're describing this sounds like something that I would enjoy. I'm not going to back this though, but that has more to do with decisions that I'm trying to make life decisions that I'm trying to make um, that are changing, not because of anything to do with this game, because it does look beautiful. Yes, I'm in the same boat with you. But what's tempting is all the things you just said, as well as I want to say Cascadero is only maybe 49 US dollars and Cascadito is 19. Uh, So as I look at that, you know, again, trying to watch where my, my money is going, Cascadito becomes a little more appealing because, ooh, $19, a little Kinesia combo action in a roll and write form. It's almost the same as the other one, and it's $20, $30 cheaper. Mm, uh, yeah. Tough call. That one is kind of starting to draw me in a little bit. At first, I had no interest because I'm trying to be strong, but then it's calling my name. See, and there's yeah. also this too, because also with Kinesia coming up um, next week, the 24th on Kickstarter, All Play is launching a Kickstarter, a, um, a reprint of the Kinesia classic through the desert where that's getting uh, an update and a reprint. Mm. And that's going to be launching with two other games. I don't think they're Kinesias, but, but through the desert, Dean, through the desert next week. <laughs> I, I've had so many opportunities to buy this game and I have not. Yeah. I played it. It used to be an app version of this, or maybe I played a physical copy. No, I think there used to be an app version of this that I played years ago. And it it seemed to be fine, but wasn't anything that got me super jazzed. The fact that this one gets reprinted in new versions frequently, it seems like, you know, the, who who did it? Uh, Fantasy Flight that did it, that 
was it Fantasy Flight that had that uh, offshoot, um, like offshoot Euro game division a while back? That sounds familiar, but I am not sure. Yeah, I, and I'm not even going to look it up. <laughs> not <laughs> you worth might it. be looking it up now, but I, I think whoever did that did through the ages, and it looked really pretty. I've seen that several. Actually, at Tennessee Game Days, the virtual flea market, I saw a copy listed there. So. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know. It's just something about it doesn't get me super excited. But I, I'm more, if you ask me, Dean, what are you more excited about? I would say I'm more excited about the uh, Cascadero than any of the other ones. Part of that has to do with Bitewing games too, even yeah. though I haven't played any of their games. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they're new. You know, I mean, they've they've first published games that were in 2022, but they've put out some some pretty, pretty big hitting games that people have really yeah. enjoyed hot lead was one of them or hot lead hot lead i think it's hot lead yeah because he's holding elephant carrying a gun i think um but trailblazers i heard really good things about that and then uh Zuvetus. so there's a lot of really cool games that they've put out in such a short time that i'm i'm real excited about that like this from them more than anything i think well, yeah, also yeah. can it see it and you know tool <laughs> <laughs> all those things and but both them and all play you know again kind of go back to through the desert are, are really doing a lot these days and putting out some really attractive games in, in lots of ways and through the desert is, a, is again i've never played it but hearing people talk about it and kind of having a go style game uh with a canizia flare and cool camel <laughs> cool camels all over the board yeah. uh, all of these games are really uh Really exciting to hear about. I'm pumped. That's a good call. We'll so I'm gonna I'm gonna throw one more uh, item into the news. I'm, I, I had a couple more listed. I can just save that one for next time. But this one I'm gonna talk about is GameFold, the first folding table designed for gaming. This is on Kickstarter for another. Uh, I guess it'll be 12, 11 or twelve days by the time this episode releases. They've got one point six million dollars so far. And basically, this is is a uh, kind of pegged as a it is it's a folding game table. If you if you you know the plastic folding tables that we have now, the ones that fold in half, not just like the legs folding, but also it folding in half. So it's really small. You can you know uh, store this. They've got it in the video. They've got it storing under the bed. It's a three by six table oh you know what I, is, I don't know if that's game surface i forgot to go back and look at that to see if it's game surface or if that's the size of the table that they have but the cool thing is uh the dimensions are that so the height is 2.4 feet and it's got a one and a half inch rail around it to keep the dice in and then the full dimensions of it are six feet by three feet so a good size space there and and again with the rails on there but the cool thing is you can get two of these and combine them which i think is really neat you can uh put these put these tables together um and then you they also i thought they had another size in here maybe i'm wrong about that three by three is no no it's three by three just when you fold it up so it is just the the one size and then you can combine the two together i yeah go ahead no, I was just going to say, and you can also get, they've got packages here where you can get uh, trays. You can add trays to That's it. Right. The rail around the side comes with a little 
It's got little tracks where you can put like a sliding tray that moves back and forth. You can put trays that you can rest your hands or other things on or lay cards out on, cup holders, all the typical kind of things you might see with a uh, with a game table. They've got attachments to it. Yep. The neoprene mat. And in fact, you get one free early right. bird neoprene mat as long as that message is showing at the top of the uh, of the Kickstarter, as long as that stays there. But yeah, it's really cool. And again, looking at the pictures on here, it's a folding table with a, you know, like a, a lip around the edge of it and a place to put a neoprene mat. So it really does make for a good gaming table. Now, a couple of thoughts that I have. One, not that it matters, but I mean, because I play games on folding tables in my house. Um, let me Let me restate that. I have a gaming table, like a permanent gaming table that's in the dining room. It's got a topper that goes on there. A buddy of mine does woodworking and gave me a really sweet deal on it and did a great job with it. So I love, love, love my table. But sometimes we have guests over and we'll just put some folding table out. Like if we have multiple games going on, put a folding table out in the living room and then have people play games in there. This would actually be perfect for that. But it looks just like a normal folding table, which is a little flimsy, but I don't care about that because you're not looking for a permanent fixture, even though in the video, it's got a guy jumping on the table, you know, jumping on it, <laughs> sitting on it. And according to the video that he made, it doesn't even move around very much. It's, it looks pretty sturdy. Now, he made the video. So I, you know, who knows? <laughs> it might be totally different than that whenever you get the final product, but it does look like it's pretty sturdy for what it is. Here's the issue that I've got, although I don't know if it's an, a big issue. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll, we're going to talk about this, the price. One game fold table is $250. If you get one game fold table plus the accessories, you're bumping up to almost $400. So you're at $389. If you get one game fold table plus accessories plus the topper, you're going to be looking at... Uh, $539. If you get two game fold tables plus the accessories, you're at $650. So that's that's no small price for sure. But it might be okay. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I, for what you're looking for, I guess it depends on what you're looking for. For me, I, I look at it and I'm like, wow, that would be really cool to have. But I would want to have I don't I don't need the double table. I don't even necessarily need the accessories, although they are pretty cool and it does make it more of a gaming space. So you can put all the game boards and player boards and stuff out onto the table and then any like components things, you can put them off of your, you know, your personal space or whatever. So that's kind of interesting. I'm not going to spend $400 on this to get all that stuff, plus shipping. I did not look at the shipping table either. Yeah, I but I don't. At, I also don't know if I'm going to spend two hundred fifty dollars on the table because, again, at the end of the day, it's a folding table with a lip. Uh, are there better ways to do this? Can you just get, you know, can somebody design just the lip for a regular folding table for you know thirty fifty bucks? <laughs> that that's where my mind goes. That's actually what I would rather see. And then I started getting into the, you know, what about table toppers? Because, you know, or the game toppers. Game Toppers LLC has, you know, these table toppers that go onto different tables. They can go onto a folding table. They clamp onto that. And it's like having a really good board gaming surface. But with those, for the six foot by three foot 
space, you're looking at, oh, I had the prices pulled up earlier. The homes, 36 by 72 is $940 for that. So what do you do with this, Darren? I want to hear your thoughts. I've, I've got lots of thoughts, but I want to hear what you think. Well, so a couple of things. First off, when you say, you know, couldn't you just design a lip to go around the table? Someone might. I'm not going to. I'm the kind of person I'm not going to do anything for myself if I don't have to. If I can throw money at it, then, hey, all the better. The I currently have a, a folding. I don't have a dedicated game table. We use our dining room table sometimes. Just throw a game mat over it, a play mat over it. Or um, I was gifted a uh, for my in-laws a foldable poker table like off of Amazon. Like seats 10 has got cup holders in it. It's got the lip. It's padded. It's sort of a felt surface folds up. You can carry it and put it away. If you look on Amazon right now, you can find that same table. It's list price is like $480, but the Amazon prime price, or whatever is like 240. So it's pretty similar to what this table is. Um, except that, you know, the one I have has got cup holders already. This one doesn't, you would have to add those types of things to it but it's also going to be more portable than the one I have. When I fold it up, there's no handle and it's stinking heavy. Like I've got to have help mm. uh, to carry it around. This other one's going to be a little more portable. So it's kind of a trade-off. You know, what are you looking for? I would say from a market standpoint, it's probably competitive with anything else that you're going to be able to, to find. If I had to guess, it's the matter of, is it, is that what you need? You know, do you need a portable game table, need ones you can put up and put down. And in our house, a portable gaming table is a necessity, you know, and the, the, the more convenient that is, the better. From a price standpoint, I think it kind of matches up. This is one that I've got um, saved in Kickstarter. Not that I plan on buying it necessarily, because I don't have $250 laying around. But if um, if I did, I would be very, very tempted by this one. Yeah. Yeah. I struggle, I guess. Again, it's probably not anything that I'm going to pick up. Now, if it was if it was a lower cost, I would consider it. You know, you can get a folding table that folds like that from Walmart for how much? About, what did I just have those pulled up? 50, 50 to $80, somewhere around there. Uh, here's one for $90, so on the high end. Now, this is a, that's marked down from $179. Now, if, if you get a folding table that is that much, then it probably is worth it to spend the extra $50, $60 or whatever to get this table if that's what you're looking for. That has but the lip, it's it, adjustable with the, the accessories and all those kinds of things. The opportunity um, is greater with this folding table. Yeah, but if you could do it yourself. Oh, oh, and I did look up the shipping, by the way. In the United States, shipping is 60 to $85 all the way up to... Pretty similar across the board, actually. Canada is about eighty to ninety-five, UK seventy to ninety. So it's all roughly that. So that's that's no small shipping charge that's on top of that. So you're looking at minimum of uh, what did I say? Three hundred minimum of over three hundred dollars. Okay, of of this table. Is it worth it to DIY it yourself, even to see if somebody's like three D printing these lips for a table? Maybe. I don't know. But, you know, you're looking into janky territory at that point. Like it's not going <laughs> to it's not going to look as nice, probably. 
So I guess it depends what you want. I'm, yeah, I don't know. I love the product. I really do. I think it's really cool. And I'm super glad to see more stuff like this. Table toppers, I thought was a great idea. Game toppers. I keep saying table toppers. Game toppers was a great idea. I think this is a great idea. I just don't know if I'm willing to pay the price on that. But there's a lot of people that have. And they've made 1.4 million with 13 more days to go as I'm looking at this right now. Yeah. So over 3,000 backers. Yeah. Yeah. That's nothing to shake a stick at. <laughs> two, two words for you, Dean. Free play mat. There you go. Oh, okay. You're right. You sold me. <laughs> you didn't sell me, but that is a good, that is a, a nice added, added bonus. on Cause some sure. of those can run about $70, you know, depending on the, the quality of what you got. So yeah. Yeah. All right. Good call. Good call. So that's, that's it. That's if you want to check that out, you can go look up Gamefold. Uh, just search Gamefold on Kickstarter to see the information for that. Yeah. If that sounds like something you'd want, check it out. Do we have time for me to mention two real quick Kickstarters? Uh, I guess so. Super fast. <laughs> They're, they're just, they're really big and they're happening this week. The first one, uh, the day of this recording, it's Tuesday, the 17th. This one is going to drop today on Kickstarter. This is Marvel Dice Throne X-Men. Okay, mm-hmm. so the, if you are a Dice Throne fan, uh, this, again, Dice Throne is a Yahtzee-style dice-chucking combat game with some card play. All right, usually two to six competitive uh, or team-based. This has got Marvel characters in it. This has X-Men in it. Wolverine, Psylocke. Cyclops, Jean Grey, Storm, Rogue, Gambit, Iceman. So it's got some of those great X-Men characters. Plus, it has a Marvel Missions co-op mode. So now you can play Dice Throne cooperatively. I, I love like, that. <laughs> I do really like that a lot. Like things like Unmatched has a co-op, co-op and solo mode now. Now you're seeing some of that here in, um, in Dice Throne. Again, if you're looking at comparing who does a great job with characters and making them thematic, but get in a simple sort of combat game. When you're looking at like a Dice Throne Unmatched, I will take Unmatched any day. But I do like Dice Throne. I think they do a good job of bringing some of those characters to life. And, you know, again, Yahtzee style rolling and re-rolling dice and making sets and pairs and trying to match up special abilities so you can play them and take out your opponents or now apparently some other kind of mutual enemy. Sounds pretty fun. Yeah. Yep. I'm, I'm excited about that. The The co-op, is that excites me, but also the, the I, there's so much Marvel Avenger stuff out there, which I love. I love Avengers, mm-hmm. but X Men I feel like doesn't get enough love, and so I'm excited to see this. It, it always happens this way, right? You've got game the Marvel game Avengers comes out, and then the sequel is X Men, and right. that is not the case for this. Or, sorry, that is the case for this, but it gives you a different mode than the other ones. So I'm I'm excited about this. I've got some of the other uh, competitive things, and I like this game. So I will, yeah, check that out on Kickstarter for sure. Yep, yep. So when you're listening to this, it will already be up and running, and they had me at Wolverine. One more quick Kickstarter that will, in theory, is is going to be dropping on the, the day this releases, on Wednesday, the 18th. Uh, we talked about some lighter games. Here's your heavy game, all you Euroers out there. Ezra and Nehemiah from Garfield Games. 
This is Shim Phillips, Sam McDonald. This is part of their historic series. We've mentioned this before. I won't say much about it. Uh, art by Sam Phillips, wonderful players. Again, set in ancient Jerusalem where the Jewish people are returning from exile to rebuild the walls and the temple of Jerusalem. They're going to, to do those things as well as teach the Torah to returning exiles. It looks like there's even some cameo appearances from prophets Haggai and Zechariah. Uh, it's going to play over three rounds or three weeks. At the end of each week, there's a Sabbath rest day for which you'll need to make sure you've got food and you're going to take some time reflecting on the week's work. Um, I hear lots of good things about this from those that have played it. You've got a few videos creeping out there on YouTube. I hear this is like Garfield's greatest hits. They've taken some of the best bits from some of their past games. This is supposed to be like their greatest hits. It's also supposed to be their heaviest game in a lot of ways. Um, it's going to have worker placement, hand management, tech trees, a lot of this in theory, should look and sound familiar, which I hope so, because if it's their heaviest game, uh, I want some, <laughs> some some context to be able to pick it up quickly because I'm very, very excited about this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, this game will be mine at some point. Some One way or another, this will be mine. Yep. <laughs> These are oh, part man. of the reasons why I'm watching my budget is because this week is like one of the last big weeks before the holidays and things slow down. So uh, it's going to be rough. Yeah, if you don't know, this ancient anthology are two of the three were on my top fifty, right? And the other one was, I think, somewhere in the top sixty or seventy, somewhere around there, and had been formerly in my top fifty. So, a side note from this news, Darren, I don't even know if this is news necessarily, but I, you know, I play games on Board Game Arena. And Hadrian's Wall is on Board Game Arena. I think it, it is a newer game. I don't know when it came out, but I just noticed it the other day. I was like, how did I miss this? So I've, I've been playing solo on there because it, the solo is fantastic. I love it. I, I love the multiplayer too, but I just think the solo plays just as well. And anyway, check it out on there if you want to check it out. I'll, you can even invite me to a game and uh, I'll, I'll play, but I'm also totally fine just soloing that over and over and over again. Very so, cool. That is Ezra Nehemiah that Darren was talking about, and then Hadrian's Wall on Board Game Arena. I guess might be news. Who knows? It was news to me. <laughs> and that's news to you, Meebletown. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into our review of Final Girl. All right, Dean, let's talk about our feature review of Final Girl. And, and this is a, a big one. This game first launched in, in 2021. Well, I'm sorry, was released in 2021. Its first Kickstarter actually launched in 2020. You know, this was in May uh, of 2020 when this funded. This is pandemic <laughs> world lockdown. Its very first season, uh, it did $446,000 with almost 5,000 backers. And at that point, it was the most funded solo game in Kickstarter history. Fast forward to 2022, to last year when their Series 2 came out. It made over $2 million with over 12,000 backers. That's, according to some of their updates, more money than they had made as a company in any previous year across all sale channels. Good grief. That's crazy. <laughs> and they just recently wrapped up their Series 3 Kickstarter last week on Friday the 13th, of course, uh, and they made 1.8 million with 10,000 backers. This game is, is a big deal. It is a it is a game changer for Van Ryder, no pun intended. Um, it's a it's a big game. 
Oh, yeah. This is one that did not make either of our top 50, I'm sorry, our top 13 um, horror games. However, I think we both mentioned it in our honorable mentions. So if you are curious as to how this plays, uh, this is designed by A.J. Porfirio and and many others. Uh, The art is by Tyler Johnson, Roland McDonald. And again, lots of artists have contributed to to this game. Even Vincent Dutrait makes an appearance in one of the feature films coming up here, uh, part of their their, their series three. Um, It is a solo-only game, plays 20 to 60 minutes. And this is playing on those horror movie tropes of the final girl who has to take down the villain, the killer, monster, ghost, whatever, at the end of a movie. The game requires a core box that has some of the components, but is it complete until you combine it with a feature film box, which includes the villain, the location, the final girls, uh, the scenarios that are going to be similar yet legally distinct from some of the greatest horror films around. They've got killers and and movies represented, like some of the classics, like there's a Leatherface slash Jason kind of killer. There's a Freddy killer. There's an alien. There's a The Thing, Pinhead from Hellraiser. Uh, They even have some of the newer uh, horror movies represented, things like Saw and The Quiet Place and Stranger Things. They even have some little vignette games you can pick up, little decks of cards that go with any of the locations, Uh, some based on The Birds or some based on just zombies, (laughs) which are great. I played that one the other day. Um, There's even a special feature film, which is the first time I've done something like this, uh, which was part of their series three they just released. This was Krampus attacking Santa's village. And in theory, if you back this at a certain level and you're paying attention, they're going to throw out a separate pledge manager on GameFound for this here in the next few weeks for potentially you to get it before Christmas, if all things go well. So that can be exciting for some. So the basic way this game plays, okay, you've got your your final girl meeple and the killer's meeple and a bunch of victim meeple scattered around the board based on whatever setup card you drew, uh, which does vary. There's a whole deck of those. It'll change every time you play it. You start the game with a hand of action cards that let you move or search for equipment or attack or do various other things. Most of the cards you play, you will roll a dice to or roll dice to see how many or, or how effective your action can be. If you roll fives and sixes, that's going to be your most effective successes. If you roll threes or fours, you'll get some partial success and also some partial negative consequences. If you roll ones or twos, it's really just bad. Okay. And so meaning the action cards you play will let you roll dice. They will also cost you time on a time track. And the time is important because however much time you have left at the end of your round, you'll use that time to buy your next hand of action cards from the action pool because the cards that you play in this round, you can't pick back up until uh, the next following round. And so you'll have to buy different cards this time. So really there's that tension of managing uh, what cards do I play now? How much time do I hang on to? What will I need to do next? You also will be spending some time running around the board rescuing victims. And when you move into a room with victims, you can move up to two of them. You can make up to two of them follow you into the following rooms. And if you can get them to an escape spot on the board, you've saved them. And now you can place those meeples on your final girl card to cover up certain icons, making you more powerful. Once you're out of cards or once you choose to stop playing your cards um, and you've bought your new ones, your turn is over and then the killer goes. You'll flip a card over from the terror deck and do whatever it says. And it usually says move and kill in some shape, form, or fashion. Uh, It may also increase the horror track which or reduce the horror track, which will determine how many dice you can roll when you take your actions. 
If a killer kills a victim, their bloodlust track goes up, making them more powerful. They gain more strength, more dark powers, more bad things happen or events will happen. Um, when they kill someone, it will also cause other victims to panic, meaning that you will have to roll a die depending on the number rolled. Certain victims on the board will scatter around the board, potentially putting themselves in dangerous situations like running into a room with a killer, big dummy. You basically will keep repeating this until you or the killer run out of health. But once you're down to your last health token, you or the killer will get to roll an extra die. And when you lose that last health token, which was selected randomly during the game setup, you'll flip it over. It might have more health on the backside. It might not. Either way, it's a chance for you or the killer to have that last gasp, just like in the movies, where you think that someone's dead and they jump back out at you there at that last minute. And that's generally how Final Girl is played. Obviously, the feature films will change and mix some of that kind of stuff up. Um, but that's the gist. Now, as we talk about this, Dean, we'll we'll go through a few different things, but let's begin with arts with the art and components of the game. What do you think about the art and components of Final Girl? Yeah, I think I'll start with the storage on this one, I guess. Okay. Um, because if, just so you know, by the way, I don't have everything for this. I've only I only have the obviously the core box, but then I have three feature films. And I was just trying to look those up. I guess it doesn't really matter right now. I'll get into those in just a minute to get the names of the... Oh, oh, there we go. Fright, Frightmare on Maple Street, The Happy Trails Horror, and then I also have Once Upon a Full Moon. Those are the only three I have. And that one's from the second season, I believe. I think that's right. Um, but the storage is really cool because you've got these magnetic boards that come off the boxes and then hold in these, these uh, cool little... Uh, vacuum form trays that hold the cards and then also have spots to hold tokens if that particular um, if that particular series does have, or uh, box does have tokens that go in there and then they also have their own little separate rules for each of those different campaigns now i don't have any of the cool like big storage stuff but when i look at that i think it's really cool because it looks like you've got this VCR player and all these different VHS tapes that are going to go in there and you pull out the core box and then pop in the tape and, and get going. So I, th I think that's really cool. Setup is actually pretty easy in this one too. And I know some people don't love the art. I've, I've looking on some just people's thoughts, but I really like the art. I think the art's really well done. The graphic design I think is really well done. Everything seems to be very easy to understand and then the the last thing I'll say is the um, the the base game comes with just the meeples that you use, and but you can also get the miniatures. So I like that they even have that option to just use the same meeples every time, or you've got these custom miniatures. And knowing me, Darren, which one do I have? <laughs> do you have the miniatures? I don't. No, I don't. But I, <laughs> okay. I would consider getting it if I had all the stuff. I not consider. I for sure would have it if I had all the right. stuff. But I, I guess I haven't gone whole hog into this one just on, honestly because of the price on it. I, th I think it's pretty expensive to get everything for it. Right now, if you get everything, all three series, I think it was around $600 or something like that, $579 or yeah, something, something I, some, somewhere around there, then plus shipping and all that. So, But anyway, that's Art and Components. I, I'm a fan. I like them. Yeah, same. I love the the boxes and how it comes and how it kind of looks like those old VHS tapes. You know, it's almost the same size 
the you mentioned the vacuum form trays. They have lids to keep all the stuff in there. The storage is mm-hmm. is is neat. Yeah, I don't have everything either. I think I have the the Happy Trails Horror, the Frightmare of Maple Lane, the Haunting of Creech Manor, which is well, let's let's back this up. Happy Trails Horror is kind of like a Jason. Uh, Friday right. the 13th kind of deal. Frightmare, like Nightmare on Elm Street. The Haunting of Creature Manor is like Poltergeist. Into the Void, which is like Alien. Uh, Panic at Station 2891, which is The Thing. And then Terror from Above, which is with the little vignettes, which is basically the birds. And then Terror from Below, another vignette, which is zombies. Those are the ones that I have. The, um, so yeah, storage for those. It's weird when you're trying to store those kind of boxes around, which I like the idea of the big boxes that they did in the Kickstarter to the simple storage solution to kind of take up, you know, a calyx when you just have the little ones, you're kind of piecing them or, you know, piecemealing them around and, and putting them away. But it also kind of looks cool when you, when you stack them and the art, i like the art. I like the graphic design for the most part. I feel like it's fairly clear. The, the rule book is, is okay. There's a few ambiguities here and there. Like when you, especially start when you start looking at the different feature films, but for the most part, um, I, th- I think the rules and things are, are fine. One thing that I do like in there, it does mention that if you find an ambiguity of the rules of the game, because there's so much going on again, anytime you're throwing in a bunch of different uh, scenarios that can change rules around, there's going to be some times where things just don't line up. Right. But mm-hmm. I feel like the, the care that went into designing this game uh, and crafting it and the way it looks and how it plays was really well done. But again, nothing's going to be perfect. And I love how they have an ambiguity rule that says, okay, if something doesn't quite match up, just do whatever you think is most evil or do whatever you think is most thematic or realistic, you know, wherever you fall on that line or do whatever you think is the most hilarious. <laughs> so, yeah. so I love, they give you that freedom, you know, sometimes just have fun with it. So I do, I do like the the arts and components. I feel like all that is my one complaint is the little meeples are so tiny. I know they have to have them that way for the storage and, and this and that it's a neat solution. But they're so tiny, I can't get my fingers in there to, to get them out of the, the storage trays. I'm about to just get rid of the tray and just bag everything. They're normal size, though, right? I mean, they're pretty the, normal size meeples. The killer and the the final girl, like those are, all the victim meeples are, are smaller. The little yellow ones or the, the different special ones. Mm-hmm. They're all they're all just a smidge, a smidge smaller. The miniatures would be cool and more thematic. But yeah, like you said, it seems a little superfluous. This is a, each feature film is maybe $20. Uh, to spend all that on the miniatures when you don't have them all, it just seems a bit, a bit much. But it's great for those that that have it. And uh, oh, and just so you know, there if you have the first printing of Final Girl Series One, there was a correction pack that was available during the Series Two Kickstarter that fixed some cards, some typos, and those kinds of things. Was mainly what it was. But that's only if you have the first printing. So again, from an art component standpoint. Uh, if you find yourself in that situation, you can get some some fixes for that if you reach out to them. But yeah, yeah, I like it overall. The, you have to be careful too with those box lids. As cool as they are, they they do have to go on a certain way. True, the, the magnets have to line up, and if they don't, then those little rule book things can fall out. It will fall out. They will fall out. Um, so you have to be careful. But it, you know, it's not difficult. You just have to get it wrong, flip it over to the other side. But it's pretty easy to understand that overall yeah. i feel like yeah you'll know speaking you from experience <laughs> <laughs> right something will fall out like rats yeah it's like uh, i didn't put that on there right yeah. that was a that was a me thing not a game design yeah. thing but on to the gameplay yeah now this was a re-implementation of the hostage negotiator system which i've never played did you ever play hostage negotiator again going back to the app I, I played the app version okay. of this and that was it um dug into it a little bit but nowhere i, I just didn't the theme didn't really grab me in the same way gotcha so what did you think about the gameplay then? 
it was just funny because I guess in one year, yeah, you're trying to help people. <laughs> you're trying to help yourself in this one too, but killing a monster versus talking somebody off the ledge. Um, maybe one's a little too real for you. Maybe, maybe that's right. That's right. The monster one. Very <laughs> so the gameplay is, is cool. The, the system of this, of, of deck building, I guess is the right word for that. Right. I mean, you're, you're purchasing these cards by purchasing. I mean, like you're spending time to get these cards. Right. There's, there's hand management. Hand management is very important in this game because you, you might think I'm just going to spend all of my cards right now, but there's a little bit of a delay on those cards that you'll be able to get back into your hand. So the the free cards, you can play those free cards, but then you don't get them right back in your hand in the next one. If you spend them this round, you're going to have to wait for those to come through in that next round, which makes it difficult and, and makes those decisions more challenging. Plus a lot of the actions that you take. So basically when you take an action, you play a card, you roll dice based on where you are on your you know, little wheel or whatever. And then determine that determines what's going to happen for that round of, of the actions. And, and there is manipulation in that too. It's not just a luck fest, but you do have to think, am I going to hold on to a couple cards? Because I, if I don't have good rolls, then I might have to spend some of those cards to be able to give myself a star, but then you're also losing time for most of those actions that you take too. And time is how you, what you spend to get the cards that you're going to get for the next round. So I think all that is really interesting and initially, when I first played it, it was just, I'm going to play every card that I can play. But the more the more I've understood the game, I'm like, oh, no, I need to hold on to some of these so that I'm ready for next round. I can have a good round next round and, and kind of prep myself for whatever is going to happen on the board with the way that the monster, the villain is going to move around the board. So I, I, I like that aspect of the card play with the dice rolling is is fun. Yeah, same. I love the, the the tension, trying to figure out what to play and when to play it, what to hang on to, what am I going to need next? That's, that's a lot of fun. The And t- talking about the killer, you know, thinking about what they might do, where they might go. I really like the simplicity of their turn. If you ever play a game like from the uh, Atama Factory, where it's just a deck that's running your other opponent, like you're playing any kind of solo game, like a Stonemeyer game or something, there's just almost always, there's just a deck of cards. You flip over the card and you do what it says. This is that simple. It's a deck of cards. You flip it over, and it's probably the most simple solo adversary I've ever gone against. You know, you just follow the icons, do what it says. Sometimes it says, oh, okay, if if, if this is the case, then just flip over another card. Um, but the ease of which you can play that, the simplicity of the killer's turn, I really enjoy. Because then it gets right back to me so I can figure out what I'm doing with all my cards and all my dice. And dag blame it, I hate those dice. <laughs> that is one yeah. thing. This this is this is a very thematic game. It's a very hard game. And I guess running from a killer and saving lives and doing all that kind of stuff would be really difficult. And it feels that way because these dice are not generally kind. Yeah. Yep. I would agree with that. But <laughs> again, going back to there are cards that you can get that will help you manipulate the the dice rolls, allow, allow you some re-rolls and even spending some time to get uh, to reroll all your dice, I guess, if you want to do that with uh, right. whatever that gray or brown card is called. So there's different things that you can do to manipulate that. So it's not just a total luck fest in that aspect. It is interesting. You, you mentioned the that Automa card. It's it's neat because it tells you what the what the killer is going to do, but also it it adds so many cool things that can happen. You mm-hmm. know, it, it can cause events to happen. The one I played last night, I had. 
I think three events, three or yeah, three events that have popped up, which that was the first time for me that I've, that I've had that many events come Mm. up. Usually it's, it's, you know, you have the initial event that happens and then maybe one other one, but for three to come up and the storybook one, it was actually some pretty positive things that happened for me, which I I like that a lot. And, um, but in, in every scenario does, I say every scenario, I've only played three, but they, they're pretty different. You know, the, the Friday, the 13th one is pretty basic because it's the one that comes with that core set. By the way, you can get this at Barnes and Noble with the the core box with the uh, whatever it's called, the, uh, the Frightmare on Maple Lane. Yeah, Frightmare on no 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 that's not it. Is it that's Nightmare on Elm Street? It's the oh, Friday that's the Thirteenth. Oh, the the Camp Happy Trails. The yeah, Camp Happy Trails is the one that comes with the core yeah. box if you get it at Barnes and Noble, which is where gotcha. I got mine, by the way, and. Uh, it's it's pretty simple. You know, the, the gameplay is pretty simple. It kind of eases you into it. But then the Frightmare on Maple Lane is a lot more complex in the rule set and the stuff that's going on. You have to fight them in the the nightmare. You have to go to the boiler room and cool things happen with the cards and choosing the path that you're going to go. Storybook Lane is vastly different from both of those. You know, it's still the same basic core mechanisms but the way that everything plays out is so different even the items that you're collecting are so different and the uh yeah there's just so much so many ways to play this game i haven't dug really too much into switching up the killers with the different maps mainly because i'm just now playing through everything but i would imagine that changes things up quite a bit too yeah, I love the variety in this. Like you mentioned, the event deck, those event cards, man, the event cards and the setup cards really go a long way. And when you get two or three events, that can really change things up. Like, you know, some of those that come out and say, oh, the lights go out. So now anytime you move, uh, you have to roll one less die unless you've got a flashlight, you know, um, and then the events can stack on each other. It's not like one automatically replaces the next one. They can continue to be horrible things that happen to you. Yeah. But yeah, there, there are some, like you said, that, that are positive too. Yeah, the I've storybook not, one, they were, I think, all positive, the ones that flipped over. Okay. I, I didn't look through the whole deck because I want to be surprised when they come out. But the two, right. no, I think all three of them were positive ones, if I remember. Gotcha. I've not played that one, so I don't I don't know. It's cool. Yeah, I like how they, um, the variety, I've, I've not done much switching up either because I like keeping my themes in their worlds. You know, I don't like mixing up things too much. But um, like I like playing the poltergeist, you know, in the Creech Manor. And it's great because in Creech yeah. Manor, you know, you've got the the arrows in some places. You can only move certain directions through certain rooms. And there's windows you're trying to get in and out of. And there's ladders. And you're trying to save Carolyn, not Carol Ann. You're trying to save <laughs> Carolyn. And, um, you know, in the 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 alien one in the Into the Void, you know, the aliens start as hatchlings and they grow and they evolve and they become more powerful. And when they get older, they vanish. And, you know, bad thing, they can just reappear. And you're scanning certain rooms to see where they are. The, the, the z- I just watched Alien. And so when you mentioned that, <laughs> I was like, wow, I'd really, I'd really, that's, that's going to be my next one, I think. That sounds cool. I think you would enjoy it because you're also, there's also these maintenance shafts that you can move through if you have found the key card tokens. And you can also use those key cards to activate things like the super loader or to uh, start to self-destruct mechanism on the ship. I mean, it's very, it feels very much like, like the movie. The, the zombies are great. Like the zombies from the terror from the terror from the grave vignette, you have to kill them all to win, but they just keep spawning and they move really slow. 
So like they're only going to move unless they're a horde. They can become hordes, which become more powerful, but they move really slow. They only move like one space at a time. And if they can't reach their target, then you, you treat them like the panic mechanism where you roll a die and whenever a number shows up, if a zombie can move into a room with that number, then you move them. And so they're kind of like, you know, sometimes they're kind of dumb. They're going away from you, but sometimes they're just going right where you don't want them to go. It's so yeah. creative uh, and thematic how well they play. Different stories are created every single time. Um, yeah, it's good. The, the variety and the variability and the replayability is a huge, huge positive for this. Yeah. And the funny thing is they didn't have to do that necessarily. You could have in the core box, just put the item cards, for example. Yeah. Uh, and that's not the way they do it. None of the item cards are in the core box, right? Or am I wrong about that? No, no, no. There's no item cards in the core box. Yeah. It's all location. Yeah. And so like the one I played yesterday, you get a, a slingshot um, in the storybook and you get uh, a bow and arrow, something like that. You can get candy. You know, that, that's a, uh, something you can get, but, and those <laughs> items are very different than, you know, if you are at Camp Crystal Lake or whatever the, the lake is for that, uh, you know, the, the comparison of that, where you're going to get machetes and stuff like that, things that you would imagine that right. you would get at that location. I think you get, you know, an ax or something like that, something that you would get at camp. So I, I yeah. love that aspect of it too. And it's, it's, it goes the same for the events, even the terror cards that are very, their location and killer specific you mix those up and you don't you don't really know what you're going to get from game to game with those tarot cards but they are again specific to the scenarios right yeah now we've been pretty glowing about this so far but it did not make either of our top 13 horror (laughs) games any negatives you want to mention before we get into final thoughts so yes let me go ahead and say part of the reason i just don't feel like i played it enough i've played it multiple times since we did that list even last week two weeks last week. Yeah. Whenever we recorded that, I have played it multiple times since then, even a new scenario. And so that has bumped it up for me a little bit. Even talking about this today gets me more excited to want to try some of the new (laughs) scenarios. Yeah. A big part of it, I guess two things. One is it's solo only. And so that, that does change things a little bit. If you're not a big solo game. Now I have become much more of a solo gamer in the last year and a half ish, year and a half to two years, something like that. And so I'm enjoying more of these games. The biggest complaint for me, though, is it does have a little bit of feel of a like tiny epic game in a sense of I want this to be this very big epic story that happens. And it's kind of that, but not fully. And part of that is because it is a quick game. It is, you know you are limited on the things that you can do, even though, you know, we mentioned about the variability and all that. It's not, it doesn't have the big game feel like some of the other ones. You know, uh, one of the solo games that did make my list or the game that I play solo is Arkham Horror LCG, which does have a lot more story going on. It has really cool things, uh, you know, taking different turns and things like that. This is more linear of you know what you need to do you're going to go around collecting items you're going to save people until you can build yourself up enough to take on the killer you're going to do that same narrative every time and that is a bit of a negative compared to something like arkham horror lcg that being said for the style of game it is it's not supposed to be that it's supposed to be a smaller game that takes about 30 45 minutes to play then for what it's trying to accomplish it's it's really good it just doesn't quite get into that epic Halloween game that I'm looking for. Right. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I would echo that. And kind of maybe adjacent to that, 
there's also, especially when you start looking at some of the different feature films, some are more complicated than others. Sometimes when you're, especially if you only play it sporadically like I do, it's not one that I just break out and would just play solid all the way through. So this is definitely a me problem. For me, there's often when I break it back out and try to play it, um, one, there's lots of setup with that. When you've got the core box components and then you've got the feature film box components. And then it, especially if you did any of the Kickstarter stuff and you've got some of the bonus things and some of the, the, the nicer stuff you want to add in, some of the extra cards or extra tokens and different dice you can roll. Uh, the Kickstarter bloat, basically, you've got like boxes and bags. I've got stuff everywhere for this little bitty game. <laughs> like this is, I got junk all over the place, which which is a hindrance for me. And there's always going to be some kind of little niggly rule that I'm going to forget, that I'm going to miss because of the variability and, and the variety, which again is a good thing. This is a me problem. Uh, for me, that's oftentimes too much for me to, to grasp. So I need to play it through several times, but because of the nature of the game, but trying to create the epic feel without being an epic task or an epic, um, whatever, it's trying to be something epic. Like you said, kind of like tiny epic, trying to be epic, but in a small package for me, sometimes it doesn't make me want to keep playing it. You know, I'll break it out, play it once. Like, okay, I'm good. I'll move on to the next one, you know, sometimes, but if I'm in the right mood and if I play in the right scenario and things work out just right, then like, okay, you kind of get into the flow. It's harder for me to get into the flow of, of this kind of game because of all, of all that stuff. If that made any sense whatsoever. No, it absolutely did. Absolutely did. Which, which I can go ahead and move into my final thoughts based on what you just said, because we might even be kind of in a similar landing spot here. So I, I kind of waffled on this one a little bit of what my rating was going to be because uh, this time of year, I really do. I've enjoyed my plays quite a bit lately. And then I start to think about some of those other things like, ah, this gives me a taste of this, but actually it would be so cool if I really was playing something. I've never played last Friday, but it made me think, wow, I'd really want to try that one because I want to get some of those same feels, but I also want to be playing with other people. You know, it'd be, it'd be cool to, to be playing with, you know, I'm a character, you're a character. And then Darren over here is going to be the killer I like that that aspect of a game that you can get a, a bigger feel for. That being said, there's a lot of different exploring options here. And this game isn't trying to be that. You know, it's not trying to be this two to three hour long game. And in fact, for what it is, I really like it because of that very thing. It's it's it knows what it is and it and it follows that model. And I, I like that a lot. So I I'm going back and forth. I'm actually going to, I'm going to bump my rating up from what I thought I was going to just because of the more I talk about it. It, for me, I guess in some ways it's a seven. It's a good game, usually willing to play, which is right where it is. But then I think about it sets out to accomplish exactly what it wants. And so for me, I'm actually, I think I'm more at an eight on this one. It's a very good game. I like to play. Probably I'll suggest it. Never turn down a play. That's where I always get hung up on the eight. I'm sure I will turn down a play if I if I've got this as an option or if I have, you know, a bigger I don't know, what's another one that, that we've talked like a Fury of Dracula which is a bigger game or a, a, a Dead of Winter or something like that. I will choose those other bigger ones in that setting if I want a game, you know, on a on a night my wife goes to bed early and I I don't have anyone to play with, I'll pull this out and I'll be very happy with it. So because it fits in that category, I will stick with an eight. I'm going to go with an eight. Yeah, I'll okay. go there. Not even a seven and a half. I'll go with an eight. 
Yeah, I'm with you. I really wrestled with this a lot, uh, especially last night, kind of going back and forth. Am I really going to say this? Am I really going to do this? You know, this game is really so well designed. Like I mentioned earlier, it is hard because it is so very lucky. I think I think it's more lucky than you are. Maybe I don't manipulate as well as you do. Those dice hate me. It's lucky. But it's also very thematic, you know, and, and I like horror movies, but not all horror movies. I'm not big into the slasher or the gore stuff like some of these feature films. Uh, portray. And those are normally the ones I don't pick up. I just pick up a handful of the ones that really speak to me. I like smart horror. These games feel like smart horror, um, even if they are kind of reminiscent of some of the classic slasher movies. Some of the feature films, they also play on my nostalgia. I've already mentioned the ones that I, that I have are the ones that really spoke to um, me in some way when I was when I was younger. Also, that Final Girl trope movie, is often very exploitive, exploitative, <laughs> exploits. Um, but these games take a more empowering approach and kind of lovingly joke about other horror movie tropes. And so I like how they approach the whole topic and the idea and what they do with it. You can tell the creators really love the genre. They put a lot of thought and a lot of care into the game. You know, one of my favorite parts of going through or going through the Kickstarter um, campaigns with them is some of the updates sometimes that will come in uh, the creators will talk about some of the horror movies they've been watching or horror shows they've been watching, kind of sometimes give full-on reviews. And so it's just neat to hear how they and the community are interacting together uh, within this genre. So that's really interesting. So for me, I'm with you. I went back and forth. I think I'm going to come down on an eight because I feel like in some ways it was it was the seven realm and I'm I'm fine playing it and it's good. But then some of my experiences with it, if I'm in the right mood and you get in the flow and you've got the right scenario, I mean, it's a nine, it's a 10 sometimes, that experience. And so I think for me, it sort of averages out in that eight realm. This is good. I enjoy playing it. Some sessions are fine, but some are amazing. I'll always play it, but if I'm in the right mood, it's killer. Yeah. Yeah. It's, well, that's, it's, that's, that's pretty high praise. And I think... Um, you know that there's our reasoning why it didn't make our list in in there somewhere too. But yep. uh, but overall, that doesn't mean that we didn't like it. It just there's a lot of good games like this out there. It's funny, real fast though. I, I'll say this and then we'll wrap it up. But you know, we both mentioned that that luck piece. I want luck in these type of games. If there's True. not luck, I would actually be disappointed. Right. I don't. I don't want deterministic combat. I don't want any of that. I want to know that there's some things that can go wrong, just like they do in horror films, and you get that really strong sense of of that in these games. Yep. And those stand up moments, even though you're by yourself, you know, you can still have yeah. those stand up kind of moments. Yeah. Yep. Like like it's go time. I've got my weapon. <laughs> I've got everything I need. I'm in. Going I'm all in my peak performance, <laughs> and I'm going for it. And and yeah. sometimes that doesn't turn out so well. Sometimes you don't even get to make it that far because you're getting attacked before you even get to that point. But Anyway, high praise from both of us. Eight on both of our thoughts on Final Girl in general, I guess, out of all the scenarios that we've played. This is kind of our overall review of the game, but high praise from both of us. So next time we will be talking about more games. And so look forward to that. And uh, uh, if you would like to connect with us outside of just listening to the podcast, you can go to the all the social media places it's at Mepletown games you can go to discord the Mepletown guild on boardgamegeek.com that's guild number 3407 and also on our youtube channel i've got three recorded videos hopefully one of those will be posted out pretty soon 
ready to go with just some mini reviews that I've been doing uh, until we can get some time to do some more full-on reviews. But hopefully you'll check us out there, subscribe, and like those videos there. Until next time, thanks for coming down to Meepletown. Later. What's the difference between romantic movies and horror movies? What's that? After watching a romantic movie, you look to hug your teddy bear. After watching a horror movie, your teddy bear starts looking at you. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's a joke as much as it is just <laughs> true. The truth and <laughs> scary. Yeah. Uh, creepy stuff.